I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Habern Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is 106.5 FM on your radio dial. Uh, and you can find out a little bit more about our station if you go to forwardradio.org and click on a button. Um, and also, if you... Uh, we're live streaming now, and if you go to that website, uh, find the podcast and archives, you can listen to the shows, the programs, uh, anytime, day or night. But we're also live streaming, so that means you can listen to us anywhere in the city, anywhere in the state, anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. Again, uh, uh, this is On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and uh, this is WFMP. Uh, LP Louisville 106.5 FM. So we've got uh, Michael T. here with us today. Uh, Michael T. is a community activist who's lived all over the country, uh, former Black Panther, playwright, author, scholar, uh, has his own program, Community Control Now, and uh, we're blessed and favored to have him here on our show, On the Edge with K.A. Owens, to discuss the uh, Tyree Nichols situation. We are recording this show on Thursday, February the 9th, and it's almost a month uh, since Tyree Nichols uh, died in the hospital, uh, and because uh, that was on Tuesday, uh, January the 10th. Tyree Nichols died in the hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, as you all recall, uh, uh, Tyree Nichols was uh, you know, arrested on Saturday, uh, January the 7th, and severely beaten, uh, arrested. He was detained for no reason, beaten for no reason, uh, that we can tell. And the five police officers who happened to be black have been fired. I believe one white one has been suspended uh, and or fired. And uh, two EMTs, emergency uh, personnel, have been suspended. As well, because they when they showed up on the scene, they, they did nothing to provide any kind of health care for Tyree Nichols. So, Michael, that, uh, that's just sort of a quick summary. And, and what I'm going to start off with, uh, I mean, what was novel about it, of course, uh, was the five black police officers who, who, who kicked and beat uh, Tyree Nichols to death. Um, but if you, uh, of course, uh, read James Baldwin, that's not surprising. Uh, and uh, my take is that I want to borrow from uh, Shelby Lanier. Uh, Shelby Lanier, is the late Shelby Lanier, uh, was a community activist here in Louisville. Uh, he was on the Louisville Police Department, Af- African-American male, former president of the NAACP. Uh filed all the lawsuits along with Bill Allison, his attorney Bill Allison, to open up the Louisville Police Department to blacks. And so we had a similar situation a few years ago where you had uh, black officers beating and kicking a black suspect. And Shelby said those officers were trying to stomp out the black in themselves. And so I think we have to take a look at black self-hatred, that black police officers have, have been trained to look down, to disrespect uh, uh, black folk, people who look like them. 
and that's just part of you know what they are trained to do not necessarily in the police academy but uh, uh, that's what society and the, uh, the organizations that they join have taught them to do so that's where I'm going to I think it's the same self-hatred that we see in Clarence Thomas or the same self-hatred that we see in the uh, that was Supreme Court Justice uh, Clarence Thomas the same self-hatred we see in the Attorney General of Kentucky Daniel uh, Cameron uh, so I think it's the same uh, so, but I'm, I'll be uh, you know honored and pleased to listen to your take on that situation in Memphis. Well, I concur, K.A. I think the um, effects of white supremacy explain so much of this, and the fact that those that tendency permeates this entire culture. Of, I'm sure many people have heard. The lawyer in the case, uh, Crump, who seems to run around the country jumping on all these cases. But to his credit, he has pointed out what so many of us already know, that the policing in this country has always been rife with white supremacy. Now, as it changed in the 20th century uh, or so, and... uh, they felt the need to bring in people of color on the force. We see that that has not fundamentally changed anything uh, because, as you said, it is a culture. And we have to keep in mind, you know, the role of the police in society. This is why we need some really radical civics classes going down. Because some of this stuff is fairly obvious that uh, when you put it in the context of history and you know how these things function in society as you know the police started primarily as in the colonial uh, slave patrolling um, mostly in the south but in the north too I mean it had a little different origin there but there was a need for the same type of function in the north if we remember that it, um, ever, all 13 colonies original 13 colonies were slave colonies and there was a need to suppress slave insurrections and indigenous uprisings. That's very hard for a lot of people to take, but um, we know that to be true and it's, it's well documented. Now, of course, as the policing functions expanded after the uh, Civil War, they took on other kinds of quote-unquote safety, public safety of activities, but the, the core reason for the police in the first place is to protect private property, the biggest ones, of course, are the most important to protect from the standpoint of the ruling class, you know, the banks. Uh, you try to rob a bank and see how quick the police can get there, uh, as opposed to some type of internecine conflict in poor communities. You know, uh, that'll be their last resort. So the point here is that they can use black faces and red faces and brown faces, interchange them with the white faces, and you get the same results. Um, The blackness seems to make no difference. I mean, many of us have noticed that, you know, for those who claim that, you know, it does make a difference, I have yet to see any 
uh, well, I won't say any, but any significant number of black policemen who even witness the brutality of their fellow officers against black people uh, intervening or collectively protesting or individually protesting. I mean, I've heard of a few cases. Uh, there was a case, I think, in Buffalo, perhaps. I did hear a sister who was on the force. Uh, she since, uh, I think, retired. And she said she intervened and caught a whole a lot of flack. Might be why she retired. But basically, because that's part of the controller class, their role is to control the masses, uh, you know, primarily, uh, you know, along with their other functions. And black or white or yellow or green, there's not going to be any fundamental change. And I think that all of our misleaders out here who are so quick to capitulate to that as a solution are highly misled uh, to the point of almost being uh, treacherous. So, uh, so here we are. It's twenty twenty three, and uh, talking about the state of policing. Yes. Uh, well, I, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, you know, have chosen to be shocked at least initially. You know, why would these uh, black police officers do something like this? Uh, well, some had their body cams on, and of course in Memphis they have some kind of street cameras. Why would they? What would make them feel they could do something like this? Even though it was at night, uh, with the body cams and the street cameras, it's almost the same as broad daylight. What what would yeah. make? What would and that's make, a good point because it shows that these petty reforms, as important as it is, right? I mean, I'm not even negating the importance of you know integrating the police force, but the the key lesson there is that integrating the police force and body cams and all that crap is not going to fundamentally change anything. What has to happen, and this is what, as you know, uh, what we're promoting, uh, that community control is controlling the policing apparatus pending abolition. We understand that, you know, we can't have abolition immediately. Uh, there are too many contradictions and too, too many complexities. I mean, if we abolish the police tomorrow, uh, it won't fundamentally change anything because we, you know, have no alternative public safety forces, which is ultimately what this is all about. Uh, so, you know, it's a long-range goal. But in the meantime, and this is no, will be no less of, of a struggle, we've got to try to gain some control of that murdering and oppressive and incarcerating apparatus. Because even beyond the killings, as bad as they are, uh, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that even if killings are going on, I'm sure, you know, tens of... You know, 20, uh, well, this, let me put it another way. Um, hundreds of people are, are being locked up for no good reasons. In the city guilty. Every day. So, you know, uh, there's not going to be any attempt to, to curb that because, again, you got to look at the broader picture. This is connected to 
a prison industrial complex. Again, this is what our misleaders, and you can judge who the misleaders are who don't raise this. I mean, this is the elephant in the in the living room. I mean, it's you don't it has no secret that you know there's money involved in and all of this. It's like all these other institutions. So you got that plus you got the you know the the whole controlling mission um, compounded with the you know the authoritarianism of just being an armed force. Uh, you would probably see a lot of the excesses in any armed force. And again, these are no secrets, but. Was to me even more disturbing, you know. Well, two things I want to mention. Uh, number one um, is that since the massive, unprecedented uprisings, uh, uh, of which Louisville was, you know, uh, part of the center of or epicenter of that. Uh, many of us thought that the whole notion of community control of the police would be revisited by our so-called leaders um, and uh, we would be at this point three years later advancing towards that but what we're seeing is that that's being even taken off the table it's almost like and again this is not the masses or the people being most victimized it's our sellouts of compromising leadership who have evidently been told that look there's not going to be any community control we don't care how many people we the police kill and lock up we're not going to go that far the best you're going to get is some some body cams and some more black policemen and a weak ass community control board and be satisfied with that and apparently some of them are satisfied you know it's, it's almost like they're saying well you know let Biden handle it you know let the police chiefs handle it um, let Greenberg handle it and if that's where we are again that's treacherous and I encourage all of the people you know to, to rise up against that you know because that is not the answer at all and how much more, how many more killings and arrests do we need to see if we're serious about this this is a this is a serious problem in spite of all the progress we've made as a society as a people and there's been progress made you know since uh, our enslavement particularly as black people uh, we've got more black people in colleges uh, there's been some social integration but one thing that's crystal clear that we see that has continued unabated almost is police repression um, and uh, you know you know I'm working uh, you know we're, we're rehearsing a play about uh, Ida B. Wells um and uh, an imaginary visit uh, she had to Louisville. You know, she did actually come here, but uh, the play revolves around an imaginary visit um, in 1905. When I was researching the project, what was so interesting and disturbing was that almost the same type of community police relationships existed in 1905. So the lesson there is that the powers that be are not going to, on their own, fundamentally change that. And if you look at it from their perspective, why would they? Why would they, you know, in any way agree to relinquish their power but whether they agree or not we've got to challenge their power and to depower them and again that's why community control you know we're promoting our eight point program 
which um, involves um, uh, empowering the people who are being policed, um, you know, by uh, setting up a board that has the power to do so, to hire and fire, to conduct investigations, uh, to sit in on a police budgeting, to, uh, you know, uh, end this uh, qualified immunity. I mean, we've got to strip them of their power because, again, they are public servants. They should be serving us. We should be able to recall them at any time because obviously very little else is doing anything. I mean, they're not, like you pointed out earlier, you know, in spite of the fact that they know they're on cameras now, they don't even care. Look at the guy who killed um, George Floyd. You know, he had spectators. And I want to make a comment on that, too. Um, but, and, you know, people watching him, had, you know, um, had, you know so, uh, promote this on social media. He's looking right in the cameras like, hey, you know, I don't care about that. Now, was one of the very few, you know, who wound up getting locked up. But how often does that happen? Uh, very, very um, little. But on the question of the spectators, um, I don't know how many people notice this, but Reviewing those films, I thought it was kind of weird that unlike so many other confrontations like that, I mean, when it starts going down, people in the neighborhood come out in the streets, you know, and sometimes that can be a deterrent in itself, you know, not all the time, as we saw in the George Floyd case, but sometimes just, you know, the spectators, you know, witnesses, uh, sort of makes them stay their trigger figure. Uh, but I noticed... And I've reviewed the tapes, man. See any community people, and you know, you know, this apparently uh, went down in a neighborhood. I assume it was, you know, a lot of black people there. I mean, uh, Tyree's mother lived close uh, near to the incident. Well, I just want to make a point too, Michael. That he was very close to his mother's house. I am. Yeah, I am. If it was all white people. I didn't see anybody come out on the out, outside the house. Maybe they were peeping out the windows or something. But I didn't see. I mean, you know, it's even strange. Children. I mean, this wasn't two o'clock in the morning. You usually have young people out on the streets, or you know, people are curious. I knew my sister. And any time something like this happened, or anybody fight, she runs out the house. You know, getting all in, up in it. But I didn't see one person the whole time that they were killing. Tyree come out of their house in that little cul-de-sac, you know, of, uh, of that neighborhood. I, I'm curious as to uh, what was that? I just can't believe nobody was home when they were all asleep. And you, you hear this commotion out there. I mean, he's screaming for his mom and nobody comes out the house. It could very well be, too, that if he had reached his mother's house, that they would not have respected that. That they would have just uh, uh, bogarted right into his mother's house and 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 whipped yeah, his mother and his swept other as well. Deterrence, you know. Again, a lot of it's a numbers game. A bunch of people. I mean, again, we know that doesn't always deter them. But you know, I just found that kind of curious because it didn't help with George Floyd. It didn't help with this, and and you know, directly or vicariously, there were. Witnesses. It didn't help with George Floyd at all, as you pointed out. It didn't help. There were plenty of witnesses with George Floyd, but it didn't help at all. 
It just didn't help. Yeah, not, it didn't prevent him from getting killed. Now, it did help probably in sending uh, that Joker to jail, you know, because, you know, with the trial, the subsequent trial, many of the witnesses were, you know, the witness stand. As I recall, his girlfriend, uh, there was a brother there who was a martial arts expert, and I saw the, several other white people, black people, but I saw no one come out the house in... Um, where was that at in Memphis? I, I it could be they, they were afraid because this Scorpion That's unit, strange. this Scorpion unit has been roaming, uh, terrorizing people. That is the police officers who were maybe that's it. You know, they were too scared to sell it. If probably figure if I come out and say anything, they'll kill me too. You know, but it's interesting too really that the uh, that the black police chief. You have to give her credit because she did uh, fire the police officers and get them charged in, in quick turn. But well, she initially, I, I, I want to point that. With you there. I'll have to disagree with hold you. On, hold on, hold on, just hold on, just hold on. But she, it's interesting, uh, she fired them and got them charged in quick time, which is probably the quickest we've seen in those situations. Because usually it just doesn't happen that way. And But however, however, I noticed that she initially defended the Scorpion unit. Initially, yeah. but then under under pressure, she went ahead and dissolved yeah. the unit. So that was fascinating to me, as if that type of policing was somehow producing results. You know? Yes, I'm glad you said that because you know I heard you know um, several local activists in Memphis say that. This was nothing new. People knew about the Scorpion unit. You know, many people had had bad experiences with them. Now, she didn't know that. You're the police chief. See, again, this goes into, you know, our whole notion that changing the color of the departments apparently means very little. Because, I mean, you know, if this was going on and the neighbors had been saying, I mean, and the community had been saying, look, these people are terrorizing. I said, you're the police chief and you don't know about this? I I suspect that, you know, even if she didn't like it, for whatever reason, um, she, you know, they tolerated it and had to take somebody being, you know, uh, brutally, um, you know, murdered like that for her to, you know, do anything. And, and again, I don't think that the majority of black people in particular are surprised by that because we've seen a lot of what if you ask a lot of black people who've had any experience with the police they will tell you that many of these black policemen are often not all the time but often worse than white policemen because it's almost like now as controllers they've got to as black controllers you know to even be in that they've got to prove to the white ones that hey I'm not going to cut these Negroes little break just because I'm black and that can make them worse than the white ones well it's interesting that the, the late John Singleton uh, dealt with that uh, in Boys in the Hood all those years ago. Yes. Yeah, we know it's nothing new. And we should be, we should reject any notion that, you know, changing the color of the police departments without changing the policies and the practices. That's what we mean by community control. You know, not cosmetic changes, but changing the, po the fundamental things. 
you know, not just the chokeholds. We're talking about changing it fundamentally. And, 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 and that can only happen by gaining power over that institution. You know, they should not be left to their own devices. You know, they have proven that they are have have failed too often in their job. When you fail that much and, and the way they fail, you know, at the very least, you know, they're not equipped to deal with public safety and crime. And we need to have, you know, bring that questions to the community. I mean, are they are they solving the crime problem? You know, fundamentally? You know, I think that, you know, the unequivocal answer is no. And anyone calling themselves a leader that doesn't focus on that, I mean, they should be suspect wherever they are, anywhere. I mean, this thing is that serious. We got to step it up. We can't just turn it over to our misleaders who obviously have been bought off or they don't care. You know, we got to face that fact. They don't care. So, uh, or, or, or the whatever money they're getting paid to not speak on this, you know, uh, overshadows any sense of caring, which I can believe that too, because even black people can be bribed, and we know this to be true. Well, uh, it's interesting. Uh, 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 David Lott uh, brought up, he's another local activist, he brought up that the uh, uh, local FOP. Uh, uh, put up no objection to the firing of the police officers because uh, usually uh, the, the FOPs in these types of situations use of force uh, they back the police uh, you know 100% make sure they get lawyers and all this kind of stuff Reminds but I would suspect the politicals told them or maybe they told themselves this is too egregious an act for us to take that position and they're willing to concede that to maintain their power. But you start talking about controlling the police or abolishing the police, they go crazy. And the fact that they go crazy shows you we're on the right track. If they are going to, you know, give in so quick, we've always got to be suspect. Malcolm X told us years ago, he says, you know, battle, and then in the middle of the battle, your enemy starts praising you and giving you awards and, and uh, you know, going along with you, you know, you got to be suspect. If you recognize that you're in a fight and your adversary is serious about harming you, now why would they all of a sudden start? Okay, we'll go along with this. And yes, you know, patting you on the back. No, no, we got to be more politically sophisticated. And in the realm of policing, we've got more than enough evidence to indict these these folks and what they're doing. And the stakes are too high. And like I said before, it's not just about the killings. It's the mass incarcerations, in my view, are, are the bigger problem because it's disrupting families. I mean, you get locked up, you lose your job. You might lose your house. You might lose your family. Oh, you know? uh, they're talking in Louisville about one of, the, the killings. one of the problems is that when you get locked up and your car gets towed in, the, to- the car towed, I had that happen one time. Yeah. You know, I'm, um, not here, but, um, you know, I got locked up intervening in an arrest, you know, just merely asking, why are you locking them up? They charged me with, interf- you, know, like, uh, 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 you know, interfering with it. Um, and I made the mistake of leaving my, I was driving past the incident 
and I got so alarmed because I you know, saw some people I do. I jumped out the car and left my keys in the car. Right, and uh, not only did uh, some young jitterbugs <laughs> stole my car, which I retrieved uh, later on that night. I had to ride around my dad all over Philly looking, and we somehow wound up finding it. <laughs> you know, saw the young boy driving down the street in my car. My dad screaming the holler, you know, bang, beaming the horn, beeping the horn, and they pulled over and jumped out and ran. You know, we got the car back. You know, they was evidently joyriding. You know, it was liquor bottles all in there. But uh, the reason they were even allowed to do that because uh, when I stepped out the car to, you know, ask why they was locking up the brother, the police locked me up. Well, there you go, folks. We've been here today <laughs> with uh, Michael T. talking about the situation in Memphis. Uh, uh, shocking, but not shocking to a lot of black folks. So, uh, uh, so folks. Uh, uh, this is On the Edge with K.A. Owens and uh, uh, broadcasting on 106.5 FM, uh, Forward Radio. We've been here with Michael T. Thank you so much, Michael, for being here with us today. Uh, Always just a pleasure. All right. Uh, folks, uh, we'll be back next week right here on Forward Radio.